Welcome to PwC's Next in Health podcast. I'm Ben Isger, leader of PwC's Health Research Institute. And with me today, we have Trina Tzderos, who leads our regulatory center. Welcome, Trina. Great to be here, Ben. This week, we are going to be talking about variants. And this is an issue I know that you're very passionate about and one that's been in the news a lot. And it's an important one to cover because actually there's a lot of information out in the news, which is making people nervous and unsure and and what does this all mean? And so on today's podcast, I think we're going to try to tear into that a little bit and talk about these variants and what they may mean as we move forward. So with that in mind, let's jump in. And I think I'll just start with what my preamble was talking about. We've heard a lot about variants of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. What do we know so far? And how do you want to frame this out? Yeah, yeah. So like you said, we're starting to hear an enormous amount about variants. And the truth is, viruses change. And so there have been many variants already. But the ones that are gaining headlines are variants of concern. And these are variants that have the potential to you know, cause us some trouble, I guess you could say. The issue is that we manage to certain dynamics, we social distance a certain amount of feet from each other. We mask using certain kinds of masks. We have diagnostic tests that are developed to find infections. We have therapeutics that have been developed for the virus. And of course, we have the vaccines. And if the virus changes in a way that renders some of those different dynamics less useful, then that's a problem for us, that we have to adjust our diagnostics, our therapeutics, our vaccines in relation to that. And so there are several variants that are looking a little troubling. And so the ones I'm going to talk about are the ones that are known as the UK variant, the South Africa variant, and the Brazil variant. And I'm not going to call them by those names because the truth is that we could have several UK variants come out of the UK. We could have several South Africa variants that we start to talk about a lot. And so it's not very useful to talk about them that way. So instead, I'm going to refer to them by their numbered name. So the UK variant is known as B117. The South Africa one is known as B1351. And the Brazil variant, there's actually two that are of concern, are known as P1 and P2. And that just gives a good example of why we don't want to just talk about the Brazil variant, because there are two actually that are of concern. And that one actually, there's a wrinkle because the P1 variant was actually found in Japan from some travelers who had been in Brazil. And so, you know, using the, the country name is just kind of a, a fuzzy way to talk about it. So anyway, the United States has cases of folks who have been found with each of these variants and new cases likely will be found, you know, very frequently. It's just a matter of how well we are surveilling for these different variants. And so they are likely circulating in the community already. And it's just a matter of, of how lucky we are to pick up on them. You know, that's that's kind of why we're hearing about this here and there in the United States. I think most public health people think that there's a fair amount of community transmission, especially of B117, the so-called UK variant. 
variant and B1351, the so-called South Africa variant. So that's kind of level setting on the on the what the variants are and why people are worried about them. And I'd say that one of the reasons why the virologists and the scientists have focused on these particular ones is that the changes to the virus are in an area that they've already identified as an area of concern. In other words, they've already identified these changes as potentially worrisome. And now we have these actual variants with changes in those areas of the virus. And so that's why they are paying particular attention to these. Well, I think that's really helpful. And I love your explanation of why it's important to use the the, the proper name, the more specific name. Otherwise, we will we could get into a, a Y2K situation later on and, and not know how to, <laughs> how to how to call things correctly. So why we do this, though, there's three main variants out there that we know of, or at least three. Why don't we walk through and maybe you could just give some of the defining characteristics, like what we should be thinking about or know about on each one. And I will even start by using the correct name. So would you mind starting with B117? Sure, sure. So that's the so-called UK variant. That's the one that we've really in the United States found the most cases of so far. Researchers, including the CDC, believe that B117 is more transmissible, meaning that it's more contagious. There are some worrisome changes in the area of the virus that antibodies bind to. So that is one of the reasons that it has been picked up on by researchers as a variant of concern. It has diagnostic test issues that are actually really interesting. Certain PCR tests, actually, if the person has B117, the result of the test comes up a little different than if they have a different strain of the virus. And so this has actually been used in the UK as a proxy for identifying B117. Instead of doing genetic testing on them, if it comes up in these tests in a certain way, they can say, well, this is a person with B117. So it has diagnostic test issues. And um, like I said, it appears to be more transmissible. This in particular in the UK, they found that regions with a higher proportion of B117 sequences had faster epidemic growth than other areas. Diagnoses with this particular test failure increased faster than non-test failure diagnoses in the same area. And a higher proportion of contacts were infected by index patients with B117 than people without those viruses. And that's just another way of saying that folks who had the B117 strain tended to um, infect more people than others. And so these sort of pieces of circumstantial evidence all together have led the CDC and other researchers to believe that it is more contagious. The CDC did do a an interesting analysis where they looked at what might happen in the United States given vaccination rates of about a million vaccinations a day. So it's important to know that we're vaccinating more people than that a day. If cases are increasing in January and then if cases are decreasing in January. So looking at different models for B117 and what the impact of that variant would be on the pandemic in the United States under those two conditions. And what they found is if cases are increasing in January, you would see this really dramatic swell of cases starting in kind of March all the way into April and May. If cases are decreasing in January, you see a much more gentle swell. You see an increase, but not as dramatic 
as if cases were increasing in January. And the good news is, and of course, a model is not sort of what we are fated to experience. It's just a model, so it could be wrong. But anyway, if you look at this model and you look at where we are headed in January in the United States, for the most part, cases are decreasing. And so that's very good news, you know, very good news when you look at these two models. Now, of course, we don't know really what will happen, but I'd say it's more comforting than not comforting. Just to kind of sum up about what we know about B117 beyond transmissibility, questions have been asked, you know, if you've already had SARS-CoV-2, an infection with SARS-CoV-2, and you have, you know, your sort of natural immunity to the virus due to that, are you still vulnerable to B117, an infection with this variant? And the jury is out on that, actually. Mostly researchers have looked at the impact of the B117 variant on neutralizing antibodies. And so they found that there is evidence that neutralizing antibodies produced by a previous infection are not as effective against B117, but neutralizing antibodies are not the whole story when it comes to an infection and, and your immune response. And so we don't really know overall. And that's one thing that that researchers will be watching very carefully is truly will this be driving reinfections? Another question is, will the monoclonal antibody treatments still work? And so these are the treatments. You might remember President Trump received it that sort of deliver these antibodies to a person who has an infection, helps their body fight it off. And it appears that these treatments mostly will still work against the B117 variant. So there's a little bit of noise there that in some of the tests that they've run on the monoclonal antibody treatments and B117, but it does not appear that this particular variant is a knockout blow against them. And then most importantly, I think to most of us, is whether the vaccines work against this variant. And it appears that yes, especially the mRNA vaccines appear to still be quite effective against this variant. So that's also some comforting signals from our first looks at the vaccines versus this particular variant. Well, I think that's a great overview of what our listeners should be thinking about with the variants. Well, we have another one to talk about, and and maybe you could highlight just what are some of the key things to know as we move to really the Southern Hemisphere down to South Africa with a variant known as B1351. Yeah, so B1351 is a little bit more concerning to scientists and researchers. It has been associated with a quite dramatic surge in cases in South Africa over November and December, starting in October, actually, through November, December. Cases have come down, I'll note that, in South Africa, though, from that big surge. It seems to be more transmissible, kind of like B117. But looking at some of these other questions, are you vulnerable to B1351 if you already had an infection with SARS-CoV-2, sort of an old school infection of it. And the jury is out on that. And there are some more worrisome results actually coming out on B1351 in terms of reinfections. And so that is something that scientists will be watching very carefully and trying to figure out because it does look like that this particular variant has more of a dodge around neutralizing antibodies than perhaps B117 did. But like I said, our body does more than use neutralizing antibodies to fight infections. So really we need to sort of look more holistically at what's going on to know whether so many people are going to be vulnerable once again to infection with this particular variant. The monoclonal antibody treatments 
There are more worrisome signals on that as well. And so it appears that if you are going to be treated with one of these monoclonal antibody treatments, it's probably good to know whether you have B1351 or not, because it does appear to sort of knock out some of the, the potency of at least one of these treatments. And then the vaccines, the question is, it appears that especially the mRNA vaccines, the two that are out there right now, are still effective against B1351. And that, again, is is comforting in particular. And it appears also that some of the ones that are coming online that are reporting out results in the last couple of weeks also appear to be, and this is very preliminary kind of thinking about it, that it also appear to be some protection still. So some sort of mixed results, some worrisome signs about this one, and then some more comforting. It does appear that the mRNA vaccines are still good on this. Well, as we move to our third variant, you and I were actually speaking before we were recording the podcast about a really interesting case study from Manau in in Brazil that you had found. And I think as researchers, it's always most interesting when there is a case study with a lot of data available. So could you get into our third variant or variants uh, with an S um, (laughs) and what we found out in Brazil? This is the the one that's known as P1. This is the Japan slash Brazil, the one that was found in Japan in travelers from Brazil. And it turns out that this variant probably originated in Brazil. We don't know a whole lot about this, but I'll sort of walk through quickly why folks are worried. So Manaus in particular, is a city that has 2 million inhabitants. And the virus, the outbreak that was there last year was really severe. Huge number of people were sickened, a huge number of people died. And by the end of it, researchers believed, believed in past tense, we're not sure now, that 76% of the population there had been infected by October 2020. So almost three out of four people living in Manaus had had the infection by October. And so people thought at the time, oh my goodness, this is a city that has reached or is close to reaching herd immunity. And so let's see what happens. Are they protected as a community? It was a way almost to look and see whether our theories about herd immunity are right. But then in December and January, infections started to skyrocket again in Manaus. And they are still very high. There's all kinds of stories now about hospitals running out of space and staff and even oxygen. And so now researchers are wondering what is going on. This was not supposed to happen with herd immunity, with a population that had reached three out of four people with you know natural immunity to the virus. And so a group of researchers, this sort of when they were looking at this and wondering what was going on, that's about the time that Japan announced that they had found this new variant P1 in travelers who had just come from the Amazon region of Brazil. And the researchers in the UK and in Brazil started to look at samples taken from folks over in December in earlier in the pandemic, and then even more recently. And what they found was that P1 was non-existent back in March to know about March, but grew and all of a sudden appeared in December and January. And now in January, they looked at samples and found 85% of them were P1. And so we see this surge of cases. We see the surge of P1. And so they question whether these two things are linked. And in particular, are people who were previously infected vulnerable again to being infected with the P1 variant? 
The researchers put out a paper looking at what could it be the possible explanations for this. And they came up with four. One, they were wrong the first time around when they said that there was 76% of the population reached had been infected. The second one was that immunity is waning faster and more than they expected. The third is that SARS-CoV-2 survivors can be reinfected with P1. That's a possibility. And the fourth is that P1 is so much more transmissible that it's able to reach SARS-CoV-2 naive people who are left. So it could be any of these. It could be none of these. It could be a mix of these. We really don't know. This is the big question mark. There has been a case found in the United States um, as of the recording we're doing right now in Minnesota, a person who had traveled to Brazil. We don't know if there's community spread, but this one is also one that is keeping public health folks and scientists up at night. Well, we can't end our podcast without maybe some potential hope. So could you leave us with what we can be doing in terms of taking on these variants? I think the question is, okay, what do we do now, right? And so John Moore, who is from the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at the Weill Medical College at Cornell University, and Paul Offit, who's at the Division of Infectious Diseases at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, they wrote on January 28th an essay or a report in JAMA with recommendations for the United States. And I think this is very helpful because these are concrete steps that can be taken to sort of manage this situation. And so some of the things that they recommend are that the virus should be immediately isolated and characterized from individuals who have been fully vaccinated but are admitted to the hospital with COVID-19. So this would be the first sign that variant viruses are becoming resistant to vaccine-induced immunity. So in other words, set up some kind of special way to to identify these folks who have been vaccinated but then end up in the hospital with COVID-19 because we need to figure out whether the virus is able to escape the vaccine-induced immunity. So that's one thing we should be doing. Another thing is that the United States, we need to set up an active sequencing and surveillance system to identify the variants quickly once they arise. And the Biden administration has made this a priority. Right now, the United States does it in a very hodgepodge way. We find these variants right now, these infections with variants, almost by accident. And so having a more systematic way, kind of like what the UK has, will allow us to really have a better handle on what's going on in the community in terms of these variants. And then third, I'll just mention that they have six different suggestions, but I'll just mention one more. They suggest that we should create a central repository of serum samples from people in the United States who have been immunized with the vaccines, and that would allow research to test neutralizing capacities against any new variants as soon as they are identified. That's what they wrote. And what they're talking about there is having a ready index or repository of samples from folks who have had the vaccine so that they can test it against the variants. Right now, that doesn't exist. And so it's almost it's a cumbersome and slower than we'd like process right now. And so this would be quicker and allow us to respond more quickly. So those are three that I think haven't been talked about as much as things like we need to adjust the vaccines to ensure that they are still effective against the variants. Those three, I think, are are newer but practical steps that we can take to get a hold of this. Well, Trina, you walked us through the new variants and how we should be thinking about them, naming them, walking through each of the three and some of the different characteristics, and then ended with some uh, recommendations that have recently been published about how we should be thinking about taking on these variants and reacting to them. So in a short amount of time, a lot to think about. So thank you, Trina, for providing all of that. 
Sure. My pleasure. And for those that would like to learn more about our thoughts around the health industry and trends, you can find more information at pwc.com forward slash HRI. And this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.